Thank you for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. We hope you like this message and that it has an impact on your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? It's good to, it's good to see you. It's good to be back with you. We, uh, we were gone last week, but we're, we're back this weekend. We, uh, we got a little bit of time together as a family, had a little bit of time at the beach, and got a little, just a little bit of sun. Uh, if, you, if you would have seen me yesterday, my forehead was like peeling, and I woke up this morning, and it was a miracle. It was all gone. So uh, thank you, Jesus, for that. But it, it was good to get away. I just want to say thank you to you guys. Every, every time that, that we are away, and I have one of my friends come and, and preach, the, the, the text that I get on Sunday afternoon is always the same. Your church is incredible. Your people are incredible. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for, for honoring our guests. Thank you for, uh, for respecting them and, and honoring the gifts that God has given them and the gifts that they are to the body of Christ and, and that they are to us as well. And, uh, and just want to say thank you for that, uh, for being such a loving and welcoming and honoring church. So you can put your hands together for you guys today. You guys are pretty awesome. Uh, this morning, we're going to get into to the Word. Before we do, a couple of things I want to highlight from the announcement. Summer camp is right around the corner. If you have a student that hasn't signed up, make sure you sign them up. If you don't have a student and you want to, uh, to sponsor a student, you can either see Pastor Kevin, email him, Kevin, K-E-V-I-N, at dcomaha.church. Just in case you were wondering, how does he spell it with an I or a Y? Does anybody spell it with a Y? I don't know, but I figured I'd spell it for you. Kevin at dcomaha.church, if you want to sponsor a student, if you need to register a student. And then ladies, the, uh, the table talk for this month is going to be uh, house worship on the 20th. I think it's the 20th. So make sure that you put that in your calendars. If you need more information, you can see my wife, Pastor Angel or Pastor Renee, get more information about that. Are you ready for the word today? How many of you are excited about God's word? How many of you appreciate God's word? How many of you are falling in love with God's word? Okay. Let me, I want to start back again, but I want to ask the last question the first, because I feel like the first question, everybody was like, yeah. And then as we continue to ask questions, like the enthusiasm just kind of died down a little bit. So I'm going to ask first, how many of you are falling in love with God's word? All right, good. Now, hopefully that wasn't a manipulated response. <laughs> Hopefully that's a genuine response. And, and, and the reason I say that is because at the beginning of the year, those of you that have been with us, you know we started a, a chronological Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year. And, and our goal as a church body, as a family, has been to read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, not how it's, it's arranged in our English Bible, how we find it today, but in chronological order. And then, you know, there's different types of reading plans. Chron chronological is one that I had never done, but always wanted to do, um, because in, in my mind, the, the historical context just brings out so many of those minute details that can oftentimes get lost when you're just reading through the prophets or you're, you're reading as part of a different plan. You're getting some New Testament and some Old Testament, some poetry, some wisdom. And, and not that any of those plans are bad. Anytime you're getting God's word into your heart, don't get me wrong, it's a very good thing. But, but this year just felt like the Lord was leading us as a church to read through it chronologically. And so we've been doing that. And at the beginning of the year, and, and really the reason that we did that the reason why when we get together on Sundays, we preach from our reading that week has been 
from a, from a heart posture, from a place, from a prayer in my heart to, to help you fall in love with God's word, either for the first time or in a new way. Because there are people that, that have been saved in this room for longer than I've been alive. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but you know who you are. And that's fine. And that's awesome. And we celebrate that. And you, you've probably forgotten more about God's word than I know at this point in my life. But no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, we need a new love for God's word. And so it doesn't matter if you've been saved for 40 years. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for four minutes. And it's like, I've never even opened God's word. We all need to fall in love. And that's been my prayer, no matter where you are on your journey, that you would fall in love this year with God's word. And hopefully that's taking place. Hopefully that's happening as daily you're in God's word and you allow God's word to get into you and he reveals his heart, his character, his plan through his word to your spirit and, and into your life. And so today we're going we're gonna to continue our, our journey through the scriptures together. Last week, Pastor Taylor fosters with us. Those of you that, that aren't aware, Pastor Taylor uh, is the young adults pastor at LifeGate. He was here with us and, and brought an incredible word looking at uh, the life of King Hezekiah. And he talked about redeemed resilience and how that Hezekiah, he trusted in God. And at the end of the day, the, the, the question we must ask ourselves is, where are we placing our trust? And, and when things are good, what do we trust in? When things are bad, what do we trust in? One of the things that, that he brought out in the life of Hezekiah that, that I loved was the fact that Hezekiah, he, he, he got rid of the, 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 the serpent that Moses held up in the desert. You remember that story? Moses held up the serpent. They'd all been bitten by snakes. He held it up as a, as a sign of the one to come, Christ, the one who would hang on the tree for the, the healing of you and I. But he held it up and, and everybody was healed, those that looked upon it. And Hezekiah, he took it and he, he destroyed it. He got rid of it. And it's like, why would you do that? That belongs in the Bible Hall of Fame. Like, don't you understand? Like, that should be in a museum somewhere for everybody to see. But the problem with that and the problem with so many of us is we, we often will look back on the things that God has done and miss what God is wanting to do today. Yeah. We often will celebrate the, the great victories and the revivals of the past and miss the opportunity to be a part of the awakening that God wants to bring today. And so he, he talked about Hezekiah. We're going to continue. We're going to read me 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And, and at this point in the text, Hezekiah is dead. After Hezekiah, then his son Manasseh became king. Manasseh ruled for 55 years. You can read that in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. Manasseh ruled. And Manasseh didn't follow the ways of his father. He didn't continue to worship God. He, he, he reinstituted idol worship. He reinstituted pagan practices. He, he turned the hearts of the, the people of Judah back to these, these false gods and, and pagan religion and pagan in worship. And, and after Manasseh died, then his son comes on and, and Ammon is, is to be king. He's 22 years old. When he's king, he's assassinated after two years. And after he's assassinated, then they, they, they crown his son as king. And his son's name was Josiah. Second Chronicles chapter 34 is where we, we see this take place. And it says in verse one that Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Eight years old. Any eight-year-olds in here today? Do we have any eight-year-olds? They're all back in. The, we've got one that's hiding in the back. Go ahead and stand up on your chair just so we can all see. 
How would you like to be king? How would you like to be president? Those of you that are watching online, he's just going like this. He's just thinking about all the things that he could, you can go and sit down. He's like, if I was king, we would have ice cream for breakfast and we would have pizza and chicken nuggets for every meal. Like there are so many things that you could do at eight years old if you were king. Josiah is eight years old when he becomes king. He reigns in Jerusalem for 31 years. Verse two, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor, David. He did not turn away from doing what is what was right during the eighth year of his reign while he was still young. So how old was he when he became king? Eight. During what year are we talking about now? Eighth year of his reign, which makes him 16. Good. You were were already jumping ahead of me. He's 16 at this point. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. He's been king for eight years. He's now 16. They just threw him his super sweet 16 birthday party. And at this point in his life, the Bible says he begins to seek the Lord at 16 years old. Now, I want to to talk to all the young people that let you know you're you're never too young. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says, Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Don't let anybody say that you can't do it because you don't have experience. Don't let anybody tell you what you can't do because because you don't have the wisdom, because you're just too young. No. Here he is at 16. Timothy was a pastor. Paul wrote, said, don't don't let anybody look down on your young, but, but instead be an example to all the believers in your faith, in your love, in the way that you live, in the way that you carry yourself. Be an example. As young people, you can be an example. So many times we think about the the older generation needing to be an example to the younger generation, but we never want to look to the younger generation to be an example to us. It's really quiet in here now. We need some humility to be able to look cross-generationally and be an example and learn from each other. And we need young people willing to stand up for righteousness and stand up for what is right and to seek the Lord no matter how old or how young They think they are. 16 years old, he begins to seek the God of his ancestor, David. Then in the 12th year, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, and the carved idols and cast images. He ordered that the altars of Baal be demolished and that the incense altars which stood above them be broken down. He also made sure that the Asherah poles, the carved idols, and the cast images were smashed and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the pagan priests on their own altars. Like he's going savage at this point. He burned the bones of the pagan priests on their own altars. And so he purified Judah and Jerusalem. He did the same thing in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, even as far as Naphtali and in the regions all around them. He destroyed the pagan altars and the Asherah poles and he crushed the idols into dust. He cut down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. And finally, he returned to Jerusalem. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to fall in love with you by falling in love with your word just a little bit more today. Lord, our hearts are open. Our minds are open. We, we open ourselves up to whatever it is that you would want to say to us, whatever you want to do in our hearts and in our lives today. God, however you want to move and work, we, we give you complete access and total freedom in our lives to do that. 
God, I pray that you would anoint me, anoint these words, Lord, that as your word goes forth, it would take root in hearts and lives and it would produce an eternal fruit. Lord, we love you. We need you. Be with us and speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're, if you're just joining us in the reading plan, then, then I'll give you a little bit of context. If you've been reading along, then, then this will be kind of a, a recap for you. This is like, you know, in the beginning of the Netflix episode where they're recapping the previous episode and you go and you push skip recap. How many of you guys do that? Like, I, I just watched it. I just watched 10 of them. I don't need to know what just happened. Skip the recap and get to the new stuff. For those that haven't been, I'm going to give you the quick recap. Uh, after David and Solomon, they, there was a, a united kingdom in, in Israel. After David and Solomon, they've experienced a civil war of sorts. Now they have been bro- broken into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And, and through a series of events and through a series of, of evil and wicked kings, God has brought his judgment on the northern kingdom of Israel. They have been exiled to Assyria at this point. We read about that a couple of weeks ago in 2 Kings chapter 17. So, so the northern kingdom has been besieged and taken over by the nation of Assyria. They're all living in exile. Judah is holding on strong, mostly because of King Hezekiah, and God has delayed their judgment. Now a couple of bad kings have come. Josiah is now king. He comes on the scene as an eight-year-old boy in, in really a spot of trouble. There's national turmoil because, because Israel has been, has been conquered. There's personal turmoil because here he is eight years old and he's been been called and crowned as the next king of the the, the kingdom of Judah. And as an eight-year-old child, his job now is to rule and to reign over God's remaining remnant of people living in the land that God had promised. How would you like that responsibility? Anybody want to sign up for that job? Anybody want to put in an application for that one? We're all sitting here today like, yeah, no thanks, right? Like if anything, that causes me to look at, at, my, at my situation and the things that are so big on my plate. And it's like, man, I got it easy. Like my, my, my problems aren't that bad when compared to this young boy's. He's, he's, he's made king in this, this time of turmoil with really nobody to look to. His grandpa wasn't a good influence. The Bible, in fact, said that Manasseh was so wicked that, that Jerusalem from one end to the other was covered with blood because he killed so many innocent people. That's your grandpa. Talk about legacy. Then your dad was such a, your dad was such a popular king that two years into his reign, his officials went JFK on him and had him assassinated. Like that's two years. He served for two years before his cabinet was like, listen, we got to get rid of this dude. They kill him, and right after they're done killing your dad, they come to you with a crown, like, congratulations. What do you want me to do? I would be withdrawing my name from that race real quick. Like, let the, let the other guy be king. Go, go stab the other guy in the back. I want, no, I want no part of this. And yet, as an eight-year-old boy, he steps into this role his back against the wall, not sure what to do. Everything is going crazy. All, have you ever been there? 
back against the wall, expectations, internal pressures. Everybody expects something from you. I don't know what to do. Nobody's been there before. Nobody's helping me out. Nobody's showing me the way. Nobody's leading me. I don't know how this is going to end up. This looks like nothing but What do we do? What do we do in, in that moment? And I think it goes back to what he did when he was 16 years old. He sought God. At 16 years old, it wasn't about what his grandpa did and it wasn't about what his dad did, but it was about seeking God for himself, having a personal relationship with the Lord. There is nothing that can take the place of personal revelation of who God is. It doesn't matter what your parents did. It doesn't matter what your grandparents did. It doesn't matter what you've done to this point. There is nothing that can take the place of personal revelation. And so he's, he's in this position. Now, I want to give you kind of like a lost flash forward. Have you guys, you guys ever watched Lost? Nobody ever watched Lost? It was one of the greatest TV shows of all. But the Lost, there was, there was these parts in the TV show where they would flash forward and then they would come back. I'm going to give you a flash forward, okay? We're going to read from one page ahead, 2 Chronicles chapter 35. Because here we have this eight-year-old boy who really doesn't know what to do. But let's skip 18 years into his kingship and read verse 18 of 2 Chronicles chapter 35. Here's what it says. Never since the time of the prophet Samuel had there ever been such a Passover. None of the kings of Israel had ever kept a Passover as Josiah did, involving all the priests and all the Levites and all the people of Jerusalem and people from all over Judah and Israel. How did we get to that point? Right? Like, like how, what was the montage in the movie that took us from this eight-year-old boy to them having a Passover like they had never experienced since the time of Samuel, really the, one of the first prophets that arrived on the scene. Since the time the kings were instituted, they've never celebrated or had a feast or honored God the way that they had under Josiah. How did we get to that point? And the answer is this. There was simply revival. There was revival in the land. Now, now, some of you that maybe are new to church and it's like, okay, revival, I've heard this word. I'm not really sure what that means. Some of you that have grown up in church, you have this idea of what revival is and what it looks like. And, and I just want to like make sure that we're all on the same page today. What does it mean to, to have revival, to experience revival? Revival, very simply put, is a spiritual reawakening. So reawakening spiritually in the life or the lives of believers. Well, revival is when people are getting healed and they're rolling on the floor and all of these things. No, that's, that's not revival. Revival is when, is when people who aren't saved are getting saved. That's, that's the fruit of a revival, but in and of itself, that is not revival. That is what comes out of or, or can be a fruit of. But revival is a reawakening spiritually in the life of a believer. It's, a, it's a, a, a coming back to God. It's a, a renewed love and passion and desire for him. It's a renewed fervor in prayer. It's a renewed desire for God's word. It's, it's, it's coming back to, in, in those places of our lives that have been stagnant and dormant, it's a reawakening in those areas. And, and we're on fire in ways that we're dry, that we were dry. And there's this newness of life and excitement and expectation as we walk closer with God. That's what revival is. 
See, the, the problem is we all have a different idea or understanding of what revival is. Some of us expect revival to look like people laid out at the altars. And if we don't see that, and as long as we don't see that, then revival isn't happening. And some of us expect revival to take place out there and laws to change and nations to change and, and, and the lost to come to know Jesus. But listen, revival, you can't be looking out there for, for the evidence of revival. You have to be looking in here for evidence of revival. It has to start in here. It has to start in me. It has to start in you. It has to start in our hearts. And so we, we for generations, have prayed for revival, and we've read about revival, and we've studied revival, and we, we've called out to God, God, we need revival. We turn on the news, and we recognize how much we need revival. We send our kids to school, and we hear about what's going on in the schools, and we know how much we need revival. And we go to jo our, our, our jobs, and we come home, and we know how much we need revival. We know that we need revival, and we've asked God. God to send it and send it and send it. And it's like, God, what, like, what's going on? Like, what are you waiting for? This morning, as we, as we look at God's word, we see the recipe for revival. We see what is needed for revival to happen. See, as we read through 2 Kings, 1 Kings, as we read through Chronicles, we, we've read the history of the kings. It feels like it's the same story over and over and over and over again. Have you felt that, those of you that have been reading along with us? Like Groundhog Day, spiritually, where there's a bad king and then a good king and then a bad king and then a good king and then there's disobedience and then there's obedience and then there's cursing and then there's blessing. But when you go back to Deuteronomy, isn't that what God said would happen? Right. Like, it's up to you. If you're obedient, then you'll be blessed everywhere you go. If you're disobedient, then I'll have no choice but to remove you from the land as I'm removing the people in front of you. We saw that played out. And if you're sick of it after three months of reading, imagine how God felt. After hundreds of years, like, are we really doing this again? Like... <laughs> Like, really, you didn't learn from your grandpa? Like, really, what makes you think it's going to be any different for you? But, but in our lives, how often do we find ourselves in those same cycles? Where things are good, things are bad, things are good, things are bad. What's interesting is when you read the history of the kings, it all depends on what the king does. If the king sought God, then what did the people do? Sought God. If the, if the king worshipped false gods, what did the people do? They participated in idol worship. It all mattered what the king was doing. And it reminds me of 1 Samuel. When, when the, 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 the leaders of Israel come to Samuel the prophet, and they're like, hey, give us a king. Samuel's like, trust me, you don't want that. No, we, we do. We want to be like the other nations around us. Give us a king who can lead us into battle. And he's like, you don't want that because he's going to take your money and he's going to draft your kids and he's going to steal your fields and he's going to do all of these things. Trust me, you don't want a king. And Samuel goes to God. And what is God's response? God's response is, Samuel, they're, they're, not, they're not doing this because they're turning away from you. They're doing this because they're turning away from me. He said, they, they don't want, God said, they don't want me to be their king any longer. And now we see it where the king will direct the hearts of the people one way or the other. For you and I, though, we don't, we don't live under kingship where the king directs our hearts, but we still can choose who is the king in our lives. Because either God will be king or you will be king. 
And if God is king, you will seek him with all of your heart, soul, and strength. But if you are king, you are very quick to place idols on the throne of your life. Who's king in your life? Who's the king? Who's the one calling the shots? Who's the one directing worship? In in Josiah's reign, we see the kingdom of Judah experience this awakening, this, this revival. Today, we, we see the recipe in our text. And, and if, if you need a reawakening, if you need a reawakening in your spiritual life, if you need a reawakening in your marriage, if you need a reawakening in, in, in yourself, in your heart, if you feel like there are, are places of your life where it's just dry, it's just, just the same thing. Oh, I feel like I'm stuck in a rut and I'm moving, but I'm not getting any traction. I need a reawakening, then I'm going to give you three things that we see in this story that are going to help us to understand what is needed for revival to take place. The first one is this, repentance. The first ingredient to revival is repentance. We read it earlier, verse 3. During the eighth year, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his ancestor David. Then in the twelfth year, at how, how old is he at this point? 20 years old. He begins to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, the carved idols, the cast images. See, if you want a reawakening in your life, you have to turn, you have to repent of your idol worship. You have to remove all of those things that you have placed in in place of God in your life. All of those things that you are giving your time, your attention, your energy, your effort, the best part of you, you're giving yourself to to these other things in worship rather than giving yourself wholeheartedly to God. See, it wasn't that they completely went away from worshiping God. They still worshiped God, but they were worshiping other things as well. And God says, no, that's that's, that's not a thing. I'm not one of many. I'm your one and only. And so many of us, we come into church and God is our one of many because we'll worship him on Sundays and, and we'll drop something in the offering box on Sundays. But then we go out and it's, it's, it, there are these other things that we're worshiping. We're worshiping relationships and we're worshiping, we're worshiping our jobs and our careers and our education and our friends and popularity and, and comfort and complacency. We're worshiping all of these other things. We come into church and it's like, all right, God, you can have yours on Sunday. But if you truly want revival, if if you've been crying out for revival, wondering, God, why aren't you sending revival? If not even just in me, could it be that there are things on the throne of your heart? Turn from your selfish desires. See, repentance isn't just about feeling sorry that you've done something. It's a turning from something into something else. The word repentance literally means to turn around to have a change of mind that leads to a change in action. But, but see, to, to, be, to be repentant requires that you be sensitive. You have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in your life. But so many of us have lost our sensitivity because we are so callous. We've allowed our hearts to become so hard and so callous that when the Holy Spirit comes and he's like, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Hey, you need to think about this. You need to change. You need to turn from this. We don't even feel it anymore because we have so tuned him out. We're not sensitive anymore. You remember as a a little kid, you'd go and, the oven would be on and your parents would say, ah, don't, don't touch that. What did you do? Touch it anyway. 
Maybe some of you can't remember back that far. Okay, how about the waitress who brings your plate out and she's wearing the gloves and you go to grab the plate and she says, oh, no, let, let me because this plate's hot. She's got the gloves and the cheese from the enchiladas like simmering and sizzling and you can see it, it's hot. And she puts the plate in front of you and she says, don't touch it, it's hot. As soon as she turns to walk away, what do you do? And either your response at that point is, that's eh, not that hot, or that's pretty hot. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. But you do that enough, eventually your fingers get callous, and then you can't feel anything. Then you're just taking the plate from the lady, like, no, nah, I'm good. Look at the calluses I've developed over time. You see how many enchiladas I've eaten? I think I can handle it. Thank you very much. But we're that way spiritually. Because we take one step in the wrong direction, the Holy Spirit's like, hey, um, it's like, oh, really? Should I not? Should I not touch it? Well, what would happen if I touched it? Trust me, you don't want to touch it. And then we touch it, and it's like, huh, my life didn't end. I can touch it again. And then we continue to take steps and steps and steps to the point where when the Holy Spirit says, hey, don't touch that, we don't even hear him anymore. God, make us sensitive to your voice. Repentance requires humility. You have to understand and recognize that. Be willing to admit that you messed up, that you don't have all of the right answers and you don't know what to do. So God, instead, in, in humility, let me trust you. We come into church, we sing songs like, your way is better. Your way is better. And then we go out and we live according to our way. Time for us as a church, as a people to repent, to turn from. I was listening to, to an interview some time ago. A guy by the name of Sean Tui. Anybody know Sean Tui? If you've seen, have you ever seen the movie Blindside? Anybody seen the movie The Blindside? Yeah. The movie The Blindside is, is based on, on him and his family, and they adopt this young man. And, uh, and Sean Tui and his wife, they, they adopt this, this young man, take him into their home. Uh, he ends up going to college, plays football, ends up becoming a, a first-round NFL draft pick, plays in the NFL, Michael, Michael uh, oh, what is his last name? Michael Orr. I think that's how you pronounce it. O-H-E-R. Thank you. Michael Orr. He, he's a, a lineman in the NFL. But there's this movie, this story is about this family, this Christian family adopting this homeless young man, bringing them into to their home. And, and the story just about how, how his life changed and through that their lives changed and their family changed and literally everything changed in their lives. And, and I remember he was, he was, he was talking about this and, and somebody, the, the interviewer had, had asked him, well, what was the difference? Like what, what made the difference? At what point did things change? And, and, and what led you to do this, to adopt this young man? Like what, what, what got you to that place? And he said, we were just driving down the road, me and my wife, we were driving down the road. And, and as we're driving down the road, it's a cold November morning. And this young man was walking down the street and just had shorts and a t-shirt on. We drive past him, and as we drive past him, my wife looked at me, and she said, turn around. Said, so we turned around and took him in the car, took him home, got him a meal, ended up adopting him. Like, everything changed at that moment. But he said, he said, those two words changed everything. Those two words changed my family. Those two words changed my life. Those two words changed Big Mike's life. Those two words literally changed everything. And those two words were, turn around. 
And those two words, as, as quickly as it changed their family and the trajectory of their lives, those two words still have power to change your life today. Those two words can change your family today. Those two words can, can change the direction of your life today. If you would, just turn around. That's what repentance is. It's a turning from one thing and turning to another thing. What do you have in your life that you need to turn from? And where do you need to turn towards? If we want revival, if we want awakening, we have to be able to come to this place of repentance. The second thing that he does is he reestablishes proper worship. We need repentance. We need to reestablish worship. In the 18th year of his reign, after he had purified the land and the temple, he appoints Shaphan, son of Azaliah, Maseah, the governor of Jerusalem, and Joah, the son of Joahaz. You need the gift of speaking in tongues just to read through the names in the Old Testament. The royal historian, he appoints these guys to repair the temple of the Lord, his God. Verse 11, says that they restored what earlier kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. They restored what other kings had allowed to fall into ruin. And when you read it, it's crazy how much ruin and, and really the condition of the temple of God. The, the condition that they allowed it to get into. He hires stonemasons because the walls are broken down. He hires carpenters and, and buys timbers because the roof's is, roof is caving in. So he hires all of these people. He, he, he takes all of this money. He buys the supplies. He hires the people. And doesn't, it's not just about rebuilding the, the physical structure, but he goes in and you'll read it in the text, but he has to tear down altars of Baal right next to the altar of the Lord. He tears down these poles and these places of worship to, to, to pagan gods that are, that are in the temple that, that is the place of worship. He goes in and within the temple courtyard, he tears down the living quarters of prostitutes, male and female shrine prostitutes to these other gods. That is the condition spiritual condition, the condition of worship that Josiah has found now in the 18th year of his reign. That's, the, that's what the other kings had allowed it to come to. And Josiah says, this is unacceptable. This is, there's no way that, that we can continue to live like this. He reestablishes proper worship. This was the very place that God's presence dwelt, the place where worship was to be conducted, and they had allowed it to fall into such disrepair. When it comes to the worship of God in your life, what is the condition of that altar? If, if, if now God's dwelling place is not a physical temple, but now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, what, is, what does that condition look like? Have we neglected proper worship and allowed that to fall into such a, a state of disrepair? Have we neglected it? Have we failed to, to keep it up? Have we failed? Just a little daily maintenance. It's, it's prioritizing it. What's interesting to me is as you read through the story, as you read through even, even the rest of the, the stories of the kings, you will find at times there are kings who, 
who restore and repair the temple. But you, what you won't find is a king who says, you know what, we need, to, we need to take some money from the treasury because we've allowed the king's palace to fall into disrepair. We need some, we need some stonemasons because, because the walls of my palace have, have, have fallen down and the roof of my palace is collapsing. No, their palace is always in fine condition and in fine shape. Because they never, they never neglect their own comfort. They never neglect their glory. But what they have chosen to neglect is the very place where the worship of the living God was to be conducted. What happens is we, we come into this place and we, we come to this place in our lives where we get comfortable. And maybe we're seeking God for a period of time and, and there's passion and there's fire and there's hunger and there's desire. And we are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness and daily we're being filled. God's blessing, God's moving, God's opening doors, God's pouring out blessing. And, and we, we walk in the favor of God, the supernatural, unmerited, unwarranted favor of God. And in the blessings of God and in the favor of God, we get to a point in our lives where now by, 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 by his hand, we should be glorifying him, but instead we get comfortable. And rather than recognizing that the reason God has brought us to this place is not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify him, we get comfortable and complacent. We say, thanks God, we can take it from here. Thanks God for, for taking us out of Egypt and thanks God for leading us through the desert and thanks God for delivering us from the giants and thanks God for removing all of those foreign people in front of us and, and thanks God for, for all the blessings that you've done. Thanks God for, for, for giving us all these nations and all the resources to be able to build this temple for you where your name is gonna be proclaimed, where we're gonna worship you. Thanks God for all of this. Thanks God for the palace and all the, the stuff and all the things and let all the nations know about us because they know about you because of what you've done. Thanks, God, you're so great, but we've got it from here. Next thing you know, the, the temple's falling apart. There's apartments for prostitutes down the street. There's altars to all these other gods. We can sit here and we can look at that and we can say, how could you allow that to be done? But we do the same thing in our hearts. We're no better. In fact, I would argue sometimes we're worse than that. We treat God just like something, uh, a box to check off on our Sunday morning list. You want me to read the Bible every day? You want me to spend time in prayer every day? You want me to be in relate? How about we just how about we just take care of from 9 to 10:30 on Sunday mornings and we call it good? And God's temple and our worship of him is in such disrepair. We think we're doing a good job because we offer him some sacrifices every now and then. We think we're doing a God don't want that. He wants your heart. He wants you. And so we, we go to God and it's like, God, we need revival. God, would you please send revival? God, we would love revival. And God's like, revival? There's unrepentant sin in your life. You're worshiping so many other things than me. 
And you want revival? Revival can't come until you repent. Revival can't come until you worship. And then the third thing is he, he recommits to God's word. I love this part of the story. Verse 14, while they were bringing out the money collected at the temple, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that was written by Moses. He goes and he says to Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. What was the book of the law? The book of the law was the instructions that God gave to Moses that then God in Joshua chapter one said, if you'll be careful to meditate on it, to study it, to obey everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful in everything that you do. Now here they are years later, the temple's been built. They're planted in the land that God promised them and the book's been missing? Like, what do you mean I found it? Was it play, were you playing hide and seek with it? Like he finds this scroll and he's like, oh my gosh, Eureka, it's the Bible. Are you not God's people? Did you not know where, how, did, how, how, does, that, how does that get misplaced? Like that's what I don't understand is how that book for generations has been misplaced to the point where when the high priest finds it, he says, holy cow, what is this? He finds it and he, he takes it to the king. He reads it to the king. Let's continue verse 29. Let's go to the next verse. Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people, along with the priests, along with the Levites, all the people from the greatest to the least. And there the king read from them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping his commands, laws, decrees with all of his heart and with all of his soul. He promised to obey all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll. Imagine the scene. Like imagine... Here he is, he's, he's seeking God. He had heard stories about David that's passed down from generations. David was a man after God's own heart, the greatest king in the history of our nation. And yeah, we've had some good times, but we've had more bad times than good. And as a young man, eight years old, he's, he's on the throne and he starts hearing stories about his, his ancestor David and how he would seek the Lord. So he decides at 16 to seek the Lord for himself and, and find out what that really means. At 20, he begins to purify the nation and tear down all of the altars and reestablish proper worship and, and clean out the temple. And as they're cleaning out the temple, somebody comes to him and says, hey, you might want to read this. What is it? I don't, I don't really know. Well, who wrote it? I don't know. Well, whose name is on it? Look at me. Samsonite. I was way off. Like, like imagine he just pulls this scroll and he starts reading from the scroll. And the Bible says as he's reading from the scroll, he says, no wonder. No wonder we're in the position we're in because we didn't do, we didn't hold up our end of the agreement. No wonder God's judgment is upon us and no wonder God is, is punishing us because of all these things that we've done. 
And as the, the leader of this nation, as the leader of these people, he stands up, he clears out the temple, he reestablishes the altar of the Lord, and he stands up there and recommits himself personally, me and my, my life and my family, we will serve the Lord like Joshua said. And he stands up and he recommits and he says, I will obey everything written in that. With all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with everything that I have, this is what I'm going to live for. And as he does that, what happens? <laughs> We're going to have the Passover. And they celebrate the Passover like they've never celebrated the Passover in the entire history of the kings. Revival breaks out. And, and I wish that I could tell you that it, it remained that way. I wish I could tell you that, that this revival that Josiah brings into the land of Judah and this, this reawakening continued. But it didn't. Because a time will come where a king doesn't, doesn't lead that way. And in a few short chapters, we're going to read it. The Babylonians come. Now God's judgment is poured out, not just for because of Josiah, but because of the history of disobedience. Babylonians come and they take them into captivity, but it's, it's not forever. There is a hope that comes out of that. But this morning, as we look at the, the life and the story of Josiah, I think it's interesting because I think if we, if we really thought about it, we could relate in some way personal turmoil, national turmoil, false worship, remnant of people trying to worship God, knowing that the only answer is God and, and praying and crying out, God, change, change our nation. God, change our hearts. God, change our community. God, we need revival here. We need revival now. God, we're tired of hearing about revivals and we're, 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 we're crying out, we're praying and we're looking forward to God. We just, we just need a reawakening. We need, we need to move the Holy Spirit. We need, God, we need you to move. And the problem is we, we ask for revival and we pray for revival and then we go stand at the door and we look out there for the evidence of revival. And when laws aren't changing and when our nation's not changing, but it continues to degrade and our society continues to go down this path and no one's getting saved, lives aren't being changed. It's like, God, why aren't you sending revival? We're looking out there getting discouraged because we don't see revival out there. Stop looking out there. Stop, stop getting so frustrated when the world acts like the world. You get so discouraged when the world is being the world. When the hope for the world is in here. And we go to the world and it's like, why are you acting like this? God, why aren't, you, why aren't you giving them revival? And he says, because it starts with you. We want them to be the ones that lead revival. They're not going to lead the revival. You are. Praying for revival and looking for the world to lead it. No. You can pray for revival, but if you're not repentant, and if you're not truly worshiping, and if you're not committed to God's word, you won't experience revival. You can pray for it till the cows come home. You can pray for it till you're blue in the face. But if there's unrepentant sin and there are idols in your life that you have refused to take down, 
And if, you'd allow, if you've allowed the worship of God to become just, a, just a, a ritual that you do on Sunday mornings and that's where it starts and that's where it ends and there's not, not, not daily relationship and communion with God. And if you, you look to this word as just, just some, some moral guidelines, but, but it doesn't really affect me and it's not applicable to my life, so why should I read it? Church is reading through the Bible. That's cute. What do I need that for? And if that's your attitude toward it, you'll never experience awakening. And the road that your life is currently on, you will continue to walk down until you decide to turn around, to make a change. God, it, start, it starts with repentance. God, if there's anything in me that is displeasing, Luis, you can come back to the, to the piano today. If there's anything in me that I need to turn around from, if there's anything in my life that, that I need to turn towards, would you show me? God, are there things that, that I've allowed to creep in? Is there disrepair of my worship of you that I've allowed to, to take place? God, do I need to recommit to your word? See, it's time for us to stop praying for revival and start living for revival. God, send it. God's just waiting for you. God, send revival. God, we need a move of you in our country. Yeah, you're right. We do. But it, it's revival. It's a reawakening. It's a bringing to life dormant things that, that we've allowed to become stagnant in us. And yes, out of that revival, lives are changed. And yes, out of that revival, Nations are changed and communities are changed, but it's not because laws are changed, it's because hearts are changed. Yes, lost come to know him, but the lost come to know him because as the church, we are reinvigorated around the Great Commission to go and to preach the gospel and to share our faith and to tell the good news about a, a savior that died for them and a God that loves them. Why, why isn't the world turning to God? Because we're not telling them. We're not giving them any hope. We're not showing them any joy. There's no reason for them to because we as the church are looking a lot more like the world. What do I need your God for? You live the exact same way I do. We do need revival. And I do want revival. And I do expect revival to come. And God, if you're looking for somewhere to start, God, if you're looking for a group of people to breathe life into new life and fresh life and give a fresh wind to, God, may it be us, may it be me. May it start in Omaha. May it start at Dream City. May it start with the people who are so sensitive to your spirit. That when you come and you point out things in our lives, we are so quick to turn around. Because we don't want to pursue our own desires, but God, we want to pursue you above all other things. Now, may it start with, with the people whose hearts are just postured in worship to you because of who you are. Who are so in awe of your goodness and your holiness and your righteousness. That God, the only thing for us to do is to fall on our face and offer our lives completely unto you. God, may it start with the people who are so committed 
not just to reading your word, but to doing your word. Lord, may we not be like the foolish ones who hear your word and go out and don't do it because when the rains came and the winds blew, their houses were were blown away. But God, it's the one who, who obeys. It's the ones who do your word, whose lives are firmly planted on the solid rock. Lord, this morning, we declare that we need you. Yeah, we need you in our hearts. We need you in our homes. We need you in our lives. We need you in our families. We need you in our marriages. We need you in our schools. We need you in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, our, our city, our state, our nation. God, we need you. God, we've been praying. We've been praying for decades. God, send revival. God, send revival. God, send revival. While we've allowed our hearts to get more and more calloused, we've allowed the temple to fall into disrepair. We've lost the word of God in our own lives and we can't commit to it. We can't obey it because we don't even know where it's at. But God, send revival. Lord, today we repent. We turn around from all those other things. We pursue you. Lord, I pray that you would bring us back to a heart of worship, a heart that is in communion with you, in relationship with you, that honors you and glorifies you and seeks to exalt you in everything that we do recognizing that you alone are worthy, tearing down any high place that we've established in our lives, any place we've erected to worship anything other than you, Lord, we tear that down today. Lord, as your word has come alive to us today, as we continue to study your word and it continues to come alive in our hearts and in our spirits, Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just be words on a page, but it would be the living, active, breathing word of the living God. It wouldn't just be informational, but transformational as we seek to commit ourselves to being obedient to your word. Lord, even as Josiah found himself in a place of turmoil and not really sure what to do, we see the end result of his kingship. We read about him today. Lord, it all started when a 16-year-old boy just decided to seek you. When Josiah, as a young man, said, I need God for myself. Lord, today we seek you. This morning, if you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you never placed your faith in him, I want to give you an opportunity to do so today before we dismiss. I want to pray with you right where you're at and would just ask, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor John, that's me. Today, I want to decide, I want to choose to see God with all my heart. I want to give my life to him. 
If you're here, would you do me a favor? If that's you, would you just lift up your hand? Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. You can put it back down. Anybody else? All right, stand with me this morning, church. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. I'm going to lead us in a prayer and ask that you would just repeat it after me. If you raise your hand, repeat this from your, from your heart. Church, help us pray today. Just say, Jesus, thank you so much that you gave up your life so that I can have new life in you. And today, I repent. I turn around and I turn towards you. I want to follow you and live for you all the days of my life. Would you come into my heart change me from the inside out. Give me a new mind and a new heart and a new spirit. I thank you. I love you. I worship you. Not just today, but from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer. Those who have turned from their ways, picked up their cross, died to themselves, and have chosen today to follow after you. Holy Spirit, I pray that that you would lead them, that you would guide them. God, that you would use your word as a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path. That you would direct each and every one of their steps and give them the grace and the strength to walk in it. Help us as a community of believers to come alongside them and to encourage them and to sharpen them and to lift them up. Lord, we love you. We thank you, each and every one of us. We need you today. Thank you for challenging us through your word. Lord, from this day forth, the revival that we've been praying for, may we instead act upon. May we live it out ourselves. May we all go from this place with the heart, the attitude, and the mindset of God. If you want to start with someone, start with me. May we live lives of repentance, of worship, and a total commitment to your word. Go with us and give us the grace to live the life that you have called us to live. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Love you guys. Have a great week. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.